0: Hello and welcome to chatting fit episode 20 we made it we did it we're in the 20s i am your host finley mclaren and this is the podcast that talks all about health nutrition fitness with knowledge and opinions welcome to the show and today we're going to be speaking to a guy called bam lionheart a really interesting guy who's all about movement He's all about primal movement. He's all about understanding and working with people to get them to move in the way that we should move. He's helping people all over the world eliminate knee pain, back pain, different body aches that we have because of the way that we live our lives now. Now Bam really stood out to me because... I've had my own struggles with knee pain and back pain in the past. And when you have an injury that's stopping you doing the things that you want to do, like being active or going hiking or enjoying sports with your friends, then it's a very dark place to be. And I think anyone who's helping other people to overcome those pain and injuries is worth listening to, especially someone that is giving information that is non-conventional. A lot of the information coming out of physios will get you to a position where you're not in pain day to day but it's very hard with the wisdom that they're giving to get you into a position where you're able to take on the challenges that you want to take on like going on long hikes and going on long swims or going on long bike rides so i'd really advise listening to bam he's got some great wisdom for you there and some unconventional thoughts which I think are really valuable in today's world. While you're listening along, you can check out his Instagram, which is at bamlionheart. He's got some super interesting stuff on his Instagram and he's building his YouTube channel at the moment. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you enjoy it. And if you have a moment, please do give us a review, a like, a share, a subscribe. It really helps the show to grow. And I'm now uploading all of the podcasts onto YouTube with particular extracts and really interesting parts that I've taken out and made into a digestible format. So if you check out our YouTube channel, at Finlay McLaren. Thanks a lot. Let's talk to Bam. So Bam, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, Could you just kick us off by telling us who you are and what you do? Yeah, my name is
1: Bam. I am a movement coach. I help people move in a natural or the original way that humans were supposed to move. Um, and by doing that, uh, a lot of times pain is reduced from the body. So some people come and I uh, work with them because they're experiencing pain and they haven't had results with any other kind of traditional modality, strength training, physical therapy, or any kind of uh, medical help. then I also work with people who just want to, uh, move better, whether they are an athlete or just a normal person who wants to feel really connected to their body and feel like they could go hike, go to the gym for a couple hours, not be super sore, not be in pain. That kind of like underlying feeling that, uh, a lot of people have where they themselves and their body seem a little bit at odds, instead of like being really close together, like, what it was like when we were kids. Uh, And then the other one is just helping people stay injury free or injury resistant, uh, which is just noticing the different patterns that we we can, we can move and how to reduce the ones that make us prone to injury. Um, So I've been a, a, and still am a somebody who's obsessed and in love, and so grateful for what movement in general has done for my life uh from football as a kid gymnastics jujitsu muay thai endurance running swimming rock climbing calisthenics gymnastics powerlifting olympic weightlifting mma like whatever it is like if it if it gets me involved with my body um it's something I'm usually going to be drawn to. So I spent a lot of time in so many different modalities, understanding these very specific things like Olympic weightlifting, CrossFit or mixed martial arts, some very specific fields, and now have the privilege and honor to kind of step back as somebody who's gone into all these fields and to see the general pattern of how the human can move in so many different ways and giving somebody the really strong baseline, so they can go pursue whatever hobby, sport, whatever they wanna do with their life and do it in a way where not only they feel good, um, but they're moving really good, which is gonna increase their performance and decrease the
0: amount of pain or chance of injury. Sweet. And, and I've got two questions for you. The first one, is Bam Lionheart your real name? Yes, yeah. That is an epic name, <laughs> <laughs> that is an epic name. <laughs> um, and the se- second is, if you can just tell us, like, what your fitness history is like. Did you have significant, like, you've gone through a lot of stuff there. You're talking about football. You're talking about Olympic weightlifting. You're talking about calisthenics. Like, I can see clearly you're a person who's gone through a significant journey of your uh, through health and fitness. And I just wonder, are there significant times in that journey, either injuries you've dealt with, or like what's what has been your overall path there to where you are today?
1: Yeah, I think uh, the overall path has always been guided um, by like a double sided coin of number one, being very curious, curious to know to like to see different sports or to see people doing different movements and wanting to know, like, what does it feel like to do that? Or what would it be like if I was able to do um, this movement or this sport at the level that somebody else I'm watching is doing? So there's always like a curiosity, like, what would that feel like? Like, why could I do that? What would it take to do that? And then on the other side is more of the capacity feeling and sensation. Like I would like to be strong. I would like to be somebody who could run three miles out of the bed, not needing stretching, just ready to rock and roll. I would like to be somebody who could swim across a lake. No problem. Um, go on long hikes and not be worried about it. Uh, and that capacity feeling is is both a wanting to be able to perform at a certain level and also a dissatisfaction with the current physical state of what you can actually do a healthy relationship with that dissatisfaction whatever it is strength cardiovascular or any specific movement capability but being like "Mm, i want this thing i want to have more expertise i want to have more mastery in this
0: Mm. and and you also mentioned like, you know, people who have they've maybe got to a position where they've they've had their injury and they've tried physiotherapy or they've tried like the traditional methodologies for injury rehab and they haven't got anywhere. Like I think we're on very much a similar page there. Like I've seen so many people who have gone to the physio for months and they they get to a point where they're either pain free, but they can't actually do anything. Like they're pain free if they avoid certain actions like if they don't go hiking like uh, many physios now like they get people to a position where they might be pain-free in their daily life but they can't they haven't built a capacity to to train so like what's your what's your take on like where we're getting physiotherapy wrong and like where we're getting movement wrong and like why why a lot of people struggle with injury
1: yeah it's a really good question um it's because we live in uh, a world right now that is is reactionary And we're not trying to understand underlying root causes of things. Everything is based to try and cure and alleviate symptoms. It's not trying to take care of the base foundation of who we are. Um, So like, for instance, like with nutrition, um, it's a very different story if you go into the doctor and you say, hey, I've got some stomach problems. And the doctor says, well, let's look at what you're eating. They're going to come from the mind frame of, I want to help this person not have stomach problems so what are the things that they might be ingesting that are aggravating their stomach and let's let's work at eliminating that where somebody who's maybe gone through the nutritional journey has seen this has helped people really overcome these things knows that it's both a case of eliminating the negative inputs but very importantly removing those negative inputs and then replacing them with positive ones positive food and making positive behavioral changes that can actually give somebody the ability to go their life through their life without receiving some kind of symptom or like pain or something. But this is, we've all in, you know, there's really, and when you're talking about the amount of pain that's going on right now, it's, it's more than it ever has been in the human history. Um, and not only is it more than it ever has been, but we have more physios, Kairos, personal trainers, strength coaches than we ever have to. So you, you would think that as we are progressing into a modern world, that we would also be more durable, that we'd be healthier, that are, we'd have less pain in our body, but statistically back pain has only been increasing as we've been going into a modern sedentary style of life. Um, and to combat that we've have physios, physical therapists, strength coaches, massage therapists, chiropractors, um, you know, crazy advanced medical surgeries and Mm. still every single year, the amount of people that are experiencing chronic low back pain, the amount of people that are receiving corrective surgeries or, or treatment from physios or physical therapists, or even treatment from strength coaches is all of it is only focused on trying to alleviate someone with back pain Mm. because at the end of the day, physiotherapist, physical therapist, strength coaches, whatever, they have a theory as to why somebody is experiencing pain. It's like the three general theories. The first general is like that you your need to be rehabbed in a certain way. And that rehabilitation process either needs to be like restructuring of your actual bones, your actual cartilage, like something like that, which could require surgery. And then you have the same rehab with that PTs and now strength coaches are kind of getting involved with is like, Oh, the reason you're experiencing this is because this muscle isn't inhibited and this muscle isn't fired. And it's a strength problem. The reason Mm -hmm. you're in pain is because you're not strong enough. Um, so those are like some really common ways that we look at this, but in the, at the end of the day, they're all not addressing the root cause and Mm. we're we're
0: suffering from it. I mean, I'm a hundred percent with you there. Like when I was 18, this is just a little side-by-side story. Like when I was 18, I was just a little gym rat. So I would, I was like, anything I could lift in the gym, I'd be doing it. Like technique just was, I felt like I had good technique, but you know, it was just out the window. So, you know, lots of bad quality deadlifts, lots of um, bench press, lots of uh, shoulder press, like everything was around like beach muscles, like trying to have a six pack, trying to have big arms. And I was in the most terrible back pain and I went to a doctor. He referred me to a surgeon and one of the, and they did an MRI scan and it showed like a couple of bulging discs and their first solution was like, right, we'll just go in and do a discectomy. We'll just go in and cut those bits of bulging disc Mm -hmm. out. And like, at the time i was like that seems pretty severe what are the what are the repercussions for this and they were like oh you know there's a small chance we could you know fuck your spine up and you don't you know don't walk, walk again and um, you know and, and like we might screw up the discs so you know we might have to fuse the uh yes. the vertebrae and then you'd have mm-hmm. seriously limited mobility and i was like hang on i'm 18 and luckily at that time i came into contact with a with a strength coach who, who who just showed me you know proper technique and showed me some great exercises for it but incredible that someone there in a position of authority was happy to get a knife, you know, under the, these medical terms, like get a knife and basically cut me open into a, you know, incredibly important area of my body into my spine and perform a surgery that now looking back would have been totally unnecessary. And like how many people are having that done now, like as we speak are being told by doctors referred to a surgeon because they can't get rid of a pain and then cut open all of those resources, like, and all of that ensuing pain down the line. is just incredible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, and I think it's uh, probably one of the reasons why someone like you and I are having this conversation um, because the medical world is is really, really failing us on, on, a, on a greater level. Um, I mean, since like the late 19, 1990s, like 1998 to now, there's a 400% increase in the amount of people that are getting spinal fusions, like a 400% increase. It is like the amount of people over the 300,000 every single year. I think 350,000 was the one I, I saw that people are getting some kind of spinal fusion, whether it's cervical, lumbar, lumbothoracic or, or something. And so you were talking about it, you know, disectomy or whatever like where they go and kind of clean up the discs. Cause it's, it's protruding just a little bit, which is, pretty minor. And some people have had some nice relief from that. The main one that is prescribed is spinal fusion surgery, mm-hmm. which is to me is crazy. And and it comes from this idea that I don't really prescribe to that. If we remove movement from the body, it's going to be pain-free. If we limit its ability to move, if we put a metal cage in the spine, mm-hmm. it's going to protect it. But I mean, you do one, quick Google search on some different studies they've done on any kind of spinal fusion and the success rates are anywhere from like 50 to 60%. But then you all say, well, what does a success rate mean? Because 50% of the people who get a, a spinal fusion still experience back pain. There's a higher chance of opiate use. There's a less chance that you're going to have an, an easy uh, return to work weight. Like, so people are getting told to do this and it's because of the way that we've allowed ourselves to think about this as a, as something to, to solve. And you go into the doctor, so somebody's experiencing pain and it says, go to the doctor because the doctor is going to tell you what's going on. The doctor is supposed to know why you're experiencing pain. The doctor doesn't know. So he does his imaging, he does MRIs or he does an X-ray. And just like you, he sees some kind of physical abnormality, bulging discs a little bit of scoliosis, a little bit of degeneration, whatever it is, and says, oh, wow, you got some bulging discs. You got this scoliosis. That must be the reason why you're experiencing pain. Mm-hmm. But also statistically around the world, there is a humongous percent of the population that does have scoliosis, mm-hmm. does have bulging discs, that does have some kind of degeneration in their spine and is completely asymptomatic. 100%. So there is no there is no real correlation between what these uh, MRIs and x-rays are showing us into what we are experiencing on a daily basis. So for then a doctor to say, well, there is no correlation, but there is this symptom present and I'm going to prescribe to you, or I'm going to recommend, or this surgeon's going to recommend that what we're going to do is put a, a cage around. It's like one of the only surgeries that we do that is only designed to try and alleviate a symptom. Like your back surgery is trying to alleviate the symptom and trying to quote unquote, protect you from further damages down the line. Now, and there's only, there's only five to 7% of people that actually have what they call a pathoanatomical reason for why they have pain. They do have a term, a tumor in their spine that needs to be removed, or there is a nerve that is actually like getting messed up or completely like a vertebrae is completely out. It's like hundred percent go in there and fix it, but that's five to 7% of the population. Um, so like 80 to 80, anywhere from 85 to 95% of people that have back pain, they just call it nonspecific, general, low back pain. And surgeries is one of like the biggest things that we, that, that we prescribe. And, um, to me, this information is really important to get out there Mm. because when you are in this situation with back pain and you are looking for answers, everyone tells you if you're sick, go to the doctor. But the doctor is part of this this thing that has been emerging since the early 1900s when we started developing these surgeries. That's okay, we do some imaging and then we go, to, go this route. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of like, the, they're okay with that. And mm-hmm. we're supposed to believe that number one, we're, it's normal to have back pain. Number two, that having back surgery is not a big thing because. Oh, that guy has back surgery. My neighbor has back surgery. It's like, whatever feel like, oh yeah, my back. And I got back surgery and they still have spasms. They still have things going on. And when you talk to somebody about back pain, like to me, as somebody who's been a mover, I have not had, I've had two instances in my life where back pain like debilitated me to where I couldn't perform Mm. and within the, by the end of the day, they were gone. Um, but the first one was when I was boxing and I was holding I was boxing with my boxing coach. We were we were holding mitts and we were doing like a one, two, three, slip, two, but we were doing it just like over and over and over again. So I was in this hunched over position, going one, two, three, slip, two, whatever. And the amount of times that I was slipping, just flexing my spine and, and putting it out there. My spinal erector is just like they did that nope. thing where they just <laughs> locked up and they're like, da-da-da-da. And then the same thing happened when I was doing uh, a CrossFit workout, heavy kettlebell swings, like a mm. lot of kettlebell swings. Mm. Um, so, you know, so many people are gonna be experiencing some kind of back pain mm. and, and we have this general thing that is like normal. Yeah, or,
0: and, and I think that that always the first prescribed thing is like rest, like lie on your back, like don't move. And like, it is just like the worst thing to, to just take away the movement from there, take away the blood flow, take away like, you know, I know you talked about a little bit about muscular activation, but, you know, to, to, and people go to this position of authority, they go to the doctor to get, you know, and, and it's very hard for for coaches like us to, to overcome that position of authority and to undo that information that they've got from either a surgeon or someone in a position of authority, you know, a surgeon who tells them that this will not heal unless you have, A surgery or you know a knee specialist who says you know this will not heal unless you have knee surgery like overcoming those i mean and and you mentioned the root cause like getting to the root cause like is there a general root cause to this knee and back pain that is like overarching for all knee knee and back pain is it movement or what's your view on like the root cause for most of this stuff yeah um what is,
1: what is good, thank you for that question, what is good is that science as general is coming to some greater understandings about this, but they're still like right at the door of coming to some actual conclusions that are going to really help us solve this like once and for all. And and what I mean solve this when I talk about this, like since 1990, the number one reason that humans experience one year or more where they're, di- they're disabled, they, c- they either have partial function of their life or they can function. The number one reason across the entire world is back pain, chronic low back pain. It's not, it's not diseases. It's not some kind of psychological problems. It's not, um, you know, anything else yeah. that could make us not be able to function in our life. Chronic low back pain around the entire world since 1990 has been the number wow. one reason didn't that, that we are. Yeah. So, uh, it, it might seem dire, but I think what's going on under the covers is like this unspoken bloodbath and just a bunch of people who are like grinding out their lives uncomfortable because the narrative is that it's just normal to have back pains, normal to be disabled or your just back's just thrown out. Mm. But to me, the root cause, um, you know, if you can make a few different connections between looking at the statistics. The statistics show us that not only is back pain increasing and it has been increasing, but then you also look at the, the world map and, and the, the thought is, well, maybe poor places where people are like, have to do a lot of manual labor. Maybe that's why people are having back pains, like impoverished people. It's actually the opposite. People like high suburbia places, very modernized places, US, um, UK, Europe, all of these places, they're the ones that are skyrocketing with back pain. So modern society and back pain have like a one-to-one correlation and you see the progression happening across time. So you say, okay, well, if this is not, if this was just something that was part of our human uh, experience, like the human body was just fragile and you would just get back pain, it would be constant throughout. Like we would see it constant throughout the years, but now we have like, I mean, in in 1998, there was 60,000 physical therapists. And now there's over 250,000 physical therapists. Is that in in the US or? Yeah. Yeah. Just in the US. And and back pain and and all this stuff is knee pain, whatever is just still going up. So you're like, wait, hold on. We just had 200,000 soldiers join the army and we haven't made a dent in Mm -hmm. this. So when you look at that thing, that number one, as we progress further, in the trajectory of going into a modern lifestyle, that this is increasing. And this is increasing and it's increasing higher in places that have suburbia, modern kind of things. So you say, okay, is there a a difference between the lifestyle that we live now versus the lifestyle say 100, 200, 300, a thousand years ago for the normal human? And there's a huge difference. There's an absolutely huge difference. The difference is that we are spending on average six to eight hours every single day in a chair where our ancestors spent six to eight hours on their feet walking forward. Um, We also have a very different anatomical structure because of our sedentary lifestyle. um, That is very different to how humans looked in more of an indigenous natural or hunter gatherer lifestyle. Our spines look different, our backs look different. And to me, if I broke it down to my personal beliefs on this is that the human body, the mind and the body is 100% right now, primarily designed for us to move forward, to Mm -hmm. walk. It's not designed for really anything else. Cause if you can't walk, you can't live, you can't do just about anything. So it's like extremely important for us to have the ability to walk so much so that our body will do whatever it needs to do to self-organize itself to maintain our ability to move throughout our environments. It's our number one thing. And the way that we move through our environment is on two feet forward on an East to West horizontal. Mm. So it's like, okay, what are the qualities that a body needs for us to be able to move forward, whether we're crawling, walking, running, whatever it is. And so you look at those qualities and then you look at the qualities of like the modern athlete, the modern human, and you see, oh, wow, their body isn't even geared or structured in a way where they can walk really well. Mm -hmm. A really good example is like, just go on a hike with your friends for six to 10 miles. Somebody's going to be like, my back hurts. My knee hurts. Mm -hmm. We were supposed to be walking six to 10 miles every single day, like all year round, Mm -hmm. wake up the next day, not need to foam roll, not need to have ibuprofen, not need a chiropractor to keep you in the game. Mm -hmm. We were just supposed to be a forward moving species and we still are. But then when you go into the gym, because now that we don't have that input and we're trying to replace it with something, some external exercises, like exercising is not supposed to be part of our existence, but mm. now that we don't have like normal movement in our day-to-day life, we have to replace it with something foreign, something like, a whatever. And you look at just about every single exercise and every single exercise majority wise is getting you really good at moving up and down mm. <laughs> like, uh, vertical is moving weight, vertical, moving yourself up and down, moving things vertical. And then when we go to move forward, the, actually the opposite vector, the opposite direction was on the East and West and people can't do that or they have pain. It's like, Oh, you know, Mm -hmm. what's going on. And maybe it's my, maybe it's my VMO. That's not activating. or my gluteus medius is, is like Mm -hmm. not stable enough. So I I need to go into the gym and do more, more of this Mm -hmm. (laughs) to get good at this when it's like, no, we have to just go back to what it is that we were supposed to be able to do and that our our bodies and our nervous system was designed to do for us, which is just move forward and move forward really, really well, Mm. super
0: well. It's like, it's so critical for our life. And, And I'll just stop you there. What you say moving forward well, like can you talk us through like what has anatomically changed in our, either our posture or our hips that we would need to change in order to, you know, in inverted commas, move forward well, like. Yeah.
1: So the biggest, uh, the biggest thing is that we move forward primarily from the engine or the powerhouse of our hips. We know that everyone knows aesthetically and visually that the glutes and the hips are like, everyone loves them. But we also know that they're like the seat of power. You see someone with some big, strong hips. You're like, that's a powerful person. So in order to generate power to move us forward, we use the backside of our hips, glutes, hamstrings, lats, spinal erectors, um, all those types of things. Uh, The biggest example that we are not using our hips is that when people walk, I say, where do you feel the pressure when you take one step? They feel the pressure in their quad. They feel the pressure in their QL. They feel the pressure in their hip flexor. They're loading their leg with the front side of their body, which is our brakes and not the back side, which is our go side. So, and that's because we sit in the chair for a long Mm -hmm. time and it, it tucks the tailbone underneath. And when the tailbone tucks underneath in that overextended flex position, the glutes turn off the hip flexors, quads, and so as become the dominant muscle groups. So then we do try to go walk after sitting for eight hours in a day mm-hmm. the, our nervous system is like, I don't like, what do you want me to do? Are we trying to sit again? Are we trying to walk again? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Um, so it kind of becomes like this back and forth type of thing. But the biggest, the biggest change that you could see is in the hips. The hips tucking underneath, like the mm. tailbone actually tucking underneath. Whereas more indigenous, ancestral type of lifestyles, they have a J spine, where they actually their hips like are behind the ribcage. They're mm. not flat like like today.
0: Mm.
1: Um, they have developed glutes. They have developed hamstrings. They have developed spinal erectors, where you can see a groove of their spine mm. all the way down their back. You look at the modern human now, flat ass, no ass, mm. rounded back like the back just looks like kind of like a flat sheath. Mm. There's no there's no indentions, no
0: curvatures. I mean, it's interesting what you're saying because a lot of what we hear from, you know, even some of the top weight trainers is to talk about avoiding lordosis, avoiding that curvature at the bottom of the spine um, and trying to, especially before you're about to squat or before you're about to, um, you know, do a deadlift or something, is tucking the pelvis underneath, bracing the core so that you do have that nice, flat line going through from the shoulder to the mid spine, to the top of the hips so that you can hip hinge correctly. So could you talk us through like where that, where that fits in with what you're talking about, or do you think that's, that's incorrect and that's maybe doing more damage?
1: Uh, what, what's interesting about it is that you have to understand what it is correct or incorrect for, because movement has to have an application. Strength has to have an application. If it doesn't have an application, the body has no idea what to do with it. And you're just gonna be feeding yourself random inputs, random input, random. Your body doesn't know what a glute is. Your body doesn't know what a a bicep is. Like I I go into the gym, I do a bicep curl. My body has no idea what that is. My body doesn't even work on a muscular basis. It only works on a neurological basis through my hand, what my senses of my hand are doing and through my prediction of my mind. And when I predict and feel a weight with my hand, I tell my body to bring that close to me. And that innervates a nerve that goes from my spine all the way to my hand in a very specific movement pattern. And that's what I'm strengthening right there. I think that I'm strengthening my bicep because I see hypertrophy happening. But in actuality, how the body works and how it's moving is we're strengthening a neural pathway strengthening a neural pathway over and over and over again. So if we get caught in this idea of, of strength based exercises or muscle isolation exercises, we think that we're just strengthening a certain muscle, but you can never distract a certain muscle from its neural pathway, from its connection of muscles that make a certain movement, the Mm -hmm. body only trains and understands movement. It doesn't understand exercises. So, What is it? What is a when you're doing a strength based movement and moving something vertically, a hip thrust and getting your spine to be like straight and braced is very, very helpful for us. It's a skill that that people should know how to do. What's what gets problematic is when you create that flat thing and you do that thing with your hips and you say, Well, that helps me. When I move weight vertically up and down, very heavy weight vertically up and down. So that must be the way that my hips should, should be looking and moving and behaving when I'm moving forward with no weight on my, on my body. Mm-hmm. It's- and if you do enough squats and if you do enough deadlifts with a straight, like a quote unquote flat back and a tucked in tailbone, your body and your nervous system will ingrain that as that's our baseline. That's what we need our hips to do. Cause that's the input that I'm getting regularly. So then when you go walk, you're unable to find the movement of walking. Now you're walking like you're deadlifting. Mm. which is a vertical up and down movement. And you're trying to go horizontal. So it creates all this confusion, a bunch of compression in the body. You go on a walk and you're like, man, why does my back hurt? Why Mm. am I, the front of my hips hurt? Why does my knee hurt? It's because you're trying to move like you're deadlifting, but you're trying to go forward. So like Mm. there's there's like I very simply, like we're training our bodies in the wrong directions. Mm.
0: And I think that comes back to what you said earlier, which is like, how did we move before we were trying to move like what's the natural state of the body versus like what we're trying to do now is we're trying to to consciously move which just doesn't work there's too many moving parts to try and consciously you know it's like trying to consciously um speak about how an engine's working in real time and then execute all the actions at once. But all we end up doing is reverting back around to one primary movement pattern, which might be, I'm just going to try and squeeze my glutes or I'm just going to try and squeeze my quads or I'm just going to try and this, which is reductive. And so it's interesting. I I really wanted to get to the root of like how you've come to all of this. Like what's been your inspiration? I know some people talk about like, there's a guy, I can't remember whether it's Kelly Starrett or someone else, but talks about how did we move? before we yeah. were taught to move. So, I mean, where did you get a lot of this information? Is this trial and error or, or what?
1: Yeah, it's both trial and error. It's also um, trying to understand things for myself first and foremost, and then to for other people. A lot of it came from my relationship with martial arts. I started training when I was 15 and saw myself, I, well, when I started training martial arts, 15, maybe 115 pounds and you go into the gym and there's 30, 35 year old grown males choking you, slamming you, putting you in arm bars, like nonstop. So it's a very humbling experience to, to be very aware of your strength and your physical capacities in like a life or death situation. And then after two, three, four months, what happens is you start to have a lot of skill gain and technical knowledge on how to move better in those environments, and you start succeeding, you start thriving, you start surviving. And that really kicks on something in your brain that says, oh, wow, two months ago, I was the lowest on the totem pole in this gym. And if this was a fight for my life, I'd be dead, the first one dead. And now I'm kind of raising up in ranks. And the only change that has happened was my cognitive and muscular, like neurological abilities to move in this environment. I didn't go away and like do a strength program or go away and like, you know, run a bunch of Hills. No, I just returned to the same environment until my body and my mind adapted and I had a new set of skills. So when I had that kind of like deep embodied realization, I was like, oh, like you're not born an athlete or born like this, like the hand that you're dealt, like anything that you need, you can train and you can acquire that, whether it's a skill, whether it's a pain-free life, or whether it's just being able to do whatever it is that you need to do. The great thing about it is that there is no place in your life where movement is, is not there. So if your movement is there, just like in a fighting scenario, you can train to move better right so this this concept that we have in the gym of like perfecting my squat perfecting this technique perfecting this technique one of my favorite things to do with the clients i work with is trying to take that type of mindset and and bleed it into every area of their life where they're thinking about how they're brushing their teeth the action of their shoulder and their hand can i do this a little better they're thinking about how they're standing they're thinking about how they're walking through the grocery store The mindset of training doesn't stop when we leave the gym. It's throughout our entire life because most of our life is lived, not in a training environment. Um, So because of that, I was really fortunate to, to learn martial arts and learn the training. And that allowed me to take that training mindset and apply it to anything else I wanted to do. So I was like, I felt like I got the keys to the castle to my body. I was like, I can figure this out. And I had a really strong relationship with the communication. with My bio, my body, my, my body would be like, Hey, don't do that or do that. Hmm. Um, and then what I started to see after being in the martial arts community for six, seven years was all my friends were getting hurt. They weren't showing up to class. They're having neck pain, back pain, shoulders were, were whatever. And I would also be experiencing this, you know, somebody would rent like wrench on my shoulder or wrench on my neck and I want to go train. So I'm like, how do I get my body to a state where I can go train? Uh, and I started transitioning into being a strength coach for MMA fighters. And I was already moving at a really good level to where like, I like my Fridays, for instance, uh, a couple of years ago, I would do two hours of Olympic weightlifting, snatch clean and jerk, max out snatch, max out clean and jerk, and then go to the gym and do two hours of grappling on our Friday, open mats i felt great i was like i could go and like smash heavy weights and then i could go and do this when i was training people in the gym they were entering the gym space majorly compressed in pain and not moving well i would write these workouts that for me would be like a fun challenge Mm. and then i would see people doing it i'm like we're not at all making forward progress we're not at all helping and so i could not not see that the way that people were moving was the exact way that I was breaking people in the gym. Mm. Like when you knee, when you knee bar somebody, when you heel hook somebody, when you, when you learn how to break somebody's arm and twist them up in ways that immobilizes them and makes them weak. You, you can see that exact same pattern in like a training scenario. So you're saying we can that the, see it.
0: those movement patterns that you're drilling in in the gym are just reinforcing the things that would lead to a broken arm or a broken leg or, you know, like stress for, stress injuries. Yeah, 100%.
1: I mean, it's like it's very it's almost so simple. Mm. Uh, we'll use the bicep curl as an example. But you see somebody everyone knows. You see a, a UFC match, and somebody's arm is getting extended. Mm. It's getting extended out. They're like, "Oh, that dude's about to break his arm." Well, you never see somebody in the gym like with a like a like doing like a bicep curl like this because mm. that dude would do, would do that for two or three weeks. Then he'd come back and he'd complain with elbow tendonitis. You're like, "Why mm. is my elbow hurt?" And you're like, "Yo, get yourself in a good position. Yeah. Get your structure. Get your structure right." Um, so that kind of mind frame and visual ability to look at movement as it's either reinforcing strong patterns that are keeping me safe or it's reinforcing bad Mm. ones that are making me more prone to injury. For instance, the squat, everyone knows the knees. You don't want the knees to collapse
0: in valgus because that's the Mm. exact same position. You knee bar somebody and tear an ACL. Mm. And, and you're mentioning that you're, that you started training UFC fighters or you started training martial artists. Um, and doing strength coaching with martial artists are there any particular exercises for anyone listening are there any particular exercises that you right away remove and any particular exercises that you right away say like right we we always do these you know like these are tonic for the body um i mean
1: for i would say remove bilateral exercises and what do you mean by that that um, bilateral exercises like anything where you're both your left and right side Mm. are producing the same amount of force in the same direction barbell back squats deadlifts bench press anything like that um so you get all unilateral majority a majority just because of you know if somebody comes to me says hey what should i be doing well, if there there are a lot of people who are going to be doing deadlifts. They're going to be doing backslash, they're going to doing be bench press, not because they're like, they're getting this really clear signal from their body that it's making them better, but it's just because that's what everybody's doing and that's what you do to get stronger. When, when in reality, the barbell is very destructive on the body mm-hmm. and puts us in the wrong torque, um, the wrong torque chains. It does some really nasty things to your ability to move as a fighter which means your spine has to articulate like crazy your left and right side have to be independent and strong doing different things. You can't be bracing your core. You have to be extremely fluid and fast. You spend so much time with your hands like this, like you're going to look like a power lifter and move like a power lifter and power lifters aren't good fighters. They're great at moving a small, like a small distance of weight, but like heavy weight, they're good at that. Not good at fighters. So, the biggest thing you can do and even as humans because 90% plus of what we do is in a unilateral or ipsilateral fashion it's not bilateral but then again you go into the gym and you look the majority of our exercises are bilateral yeah. really loading the body in some double ways so you're like okay that's another that's another way that we're training that is going against the grain of what our design was to to be moving our left and rights independently with a Mm. spine that is mobile and articulating. But in order to move a heavy weight, like a clean snatch, like deadlift or whatever, you don't want your spine to be moving. Mm. You want your spine to be locked. You want your hips to be locked. You want to brace your core as much as you can create as much rigidity within your torso so that you can generate amount of a crazy amount of force up and down. Mm. But when you're talking about fighting, like, unless you're suplexing somebody that's Mm. that that's not the structure that you want to create with your body
0: yeah because i mean i think a lot of people see especially in the in the sort of instagram world that we are now they will see people performing these big squats or big deadlifts, and they'll say yeah fuck i want to do that you know i want to be the guy lifting that big weight i want to do x y and z but they're not seeing i mean a lot of these guys are you know, elite athletes who are doing these unilateral exercises as assistant exercises, aside from when you're seeing them do these heavy deadlifts, you know, they're doing single leg RDLs, they're doing, um, you know, a lot of hip work and a lot of hip individual hip strength. Um, But a, a a barbell back squat is an advanced move to be able to keep the body in that locked position and to keep the stress and load where you want to keep it is an advanced move that a lot of people if you are in this you know we're talking about people who are sitting for seven or eight hours in the day and then going into the gym and trying to do a barbell back squat it is a recipe for a bad back and bad knees so a lot of people shouldn't be doing that but you know in, in and there's where with the deadlift to be able to have the flexibility and the range to get into that movement so I'm totally with you about doing the 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 unilateral style training as a priority. And I mean, I just love a barbell back squat. So I'm always going to fight for the barbell back squat and an overhead squat and a front squat um, for that rigidity. I have very minimal experience fighting, but everything you're saying about the natural way we'd move, which is having unilateral independent movement from each side makes perfect sense. Mm. So, I mean, when you have someone who is in that position, they're not a fighter. They're someone who does, sit for seven to eight hours a day like what's your do you have a general protocol with how you work for them
1: yeah um the first thing is is providing them with some options that are going to set them up for success Um, that's the biggest one you just want to set yourself up for success just like uh with food you could you could get by and, and be eating some subpar not micro dense food processed food Um, but giving yourself some better food, some different nutritional resources is immediately going to improve your life. One of the biggest ways that we can improve our lives is by changing the different furniture that we spend six to eight hours on the office chair is one of the worst things for your body. The car, the airplane seat is one of the worst things because it does promote that hip to tuck underneath and the back to just flex and round just by the the nature of the seat itself. And so it's not like, oh, you need to just sit up straight. It's like, that's like saying you need to not eat sugar and you're, you know, every day going into a candy shop. It's like, it's just easier if you just don't go in that thing. So there's some really good alternative options that keep the spine and the hips back and engaged the whole time to where after a day of working, you can get up and you're like, I feel ready to move. It's not like I got a foam roll. I got to do this to like, warm up. That's like a really clear sign that you're not in a state that's,
0: that's ready to move. And and the shape Uh, of those chairs, just to stop you there, the shape of those chairs, is that where you're, you're, you're sort of, it's like a kneeling position. you got your, you got the butt supported and you're in a sort of a kneeling, a kneeling position. That's what that's, that's probably uh, my
1: favorite, my personal favorite one. Mm So yeah, just a kneeling chair. Um, And then there's like, there's some stools. And then there's also, if if people are working from home, which a lot of people are is encouraging them to go back to the ground, all of these different positions provide your, your hips and your tail to be free and open. It's like very important for us too, that when we sit down, like if you imagine your tailbone and you imagine that if you did have a tail, like, okay, is my tail tucked underneath my body and hiding, or is my tail open and back? If you look in the animal world, you look at dogs, you look at anything with a tail or anything that did have a tail. Anytime the tail is tucked is there's only like three reasons why number one is because like, it's a deep resting position where they're on the ground and they're sitting on the ground or they're laying down or they're very afraid, um, or they're like hurting. Mm. So if you're the, the, the way that the animal and human body are afraid and hurting is by tucking the tail and kind of like receding back into us. And most of us are spending our life in this type of position. So any sit or any resting posture that can get your hips a little bit back behind your center of mass, your tailbone out, like a dog wagging its tail, tail is up. That's Mm -hmm. where, that's where we need to live with our hips. Um, So teaching somebody how to do that and standing and walking posture is really important. After you get them into the chair, then the third thing is reintroducing them to the cycle of strengthening that allows us to walk forward. And this is the cycle that every single human goes through intuitively and guides themselves through this cycle of teaching ourselves how to stand up, how to crawl, how to walk, and even how to run. And we all do this, you know, from age zero to one, maybe two, without knowing any kind of language Mm. without knowing like having a rational discussion with ourselves of like okay i'm going to try and put my right hand here or i'm going to try and squeeze my glutes on this next time i go to stand up or i'm going to try and do this we didn't have that type of relationship with our body it was a completely a sensory based relationship but that sensory based relationship that we had with our body our nervous system was strong enough and real enough that every single human taught themselves how to stand on two feet and walk Mm -hmm. and it's really easy for us to look at walking because all of us are doing it and be like oh yeah just going to go on i'm going to go on a walk you tell someone oh i'm going to go exercise what are you going to do i'm going to go on a walk they'd be like uh maybe he's having like a little rest day or maybe you know he's Mm -hmm. just little you know just going on a walk seems like low level activity but in the grand scope of things Walking is one of the most technical movements that this planet has ever seen. Mm. You do not see other animals that have the structure or the neurological ability to stand on only two points on the earth and move themselves forward. Like if you we see dogs that stand up on two feet and everyone just pulls out their phone, (laughs) oh, my God, dog, dog. dog. So if, if we see any other animal that stands on two feet, there's something in us that knows deep down and subconsciously that we have the golden ticket of movement, mm. which is bipedal movement. And it has changed our ability to really dominate, uh, our own lives and, and the earth in a, in a great way. So the most complicated thing that the most complicated movement is bipedal walking and movement forward. Mm. Every single human taught themselves how to do this. Think about a barbell back squat, or you know, whatever. These are mm-hmm. minuscule in comparison to the to the tiers of evolutionary understanding mm-hmm. and skill development to do something like walking. And we did that all without knowing one, two, three, four, five. Six, like we didn't know that we didn't have a rational mm-hmm. brain. So reinviting someone back into the process of communication with their body and their nervous system. Where their body says, green light, green light, green light, do more of this. Cause this is healthy, strong, safe, efficient and red light, red light, red light. Don't do this. This is inefficient. This is not going to help us balance. This is going to lead to injury. Getting someone back into that communication where it's very clear and they're the ones empowered again so that they can continue to keep themselves moving in a really good way. Cause the body always wants to be healthy. It wants to be efficient. It wants to, it doesn't want to have back pain. It doesn't mm-hmm. want to have knee pain. So there's all these signals that are going on, but what happens is we get put in the chair, kindergarten, first grade, second Mm. grade, third grade, whatever. And then we all of our education is up here in that frontal lobe, rational brain language, mathematics, arithmetic, whatever. And so our kinesthetic abilities, which basically saved our lives which allowed us to be who we are today. Our kinesthetic abilities, meaning our ability to feel and navigate our inner landscape of our bodies so that we could stand up. That intelligence, which is an intelligence, was not propagated, was not kind of fed in a normal schooling system. And so by the time you get out of elementary school, middle school, by the time you get out of high school, by the time you get out of college, what do you see is a degeneration of our kinesthetic understanding, our kinesthetic maturity as humans. Whereas if you look in an indigenous or more of an ancient type of life, the 40 and 50-year-old has an extreme amount of kinesthetic intelligence, an extreme amount of physical maturity within their body Mm -hmm. to where they're extremely efficient, extremely durable. These are the 50-year-olds that are leading the mile-long runs to go hunt. It's Mm -hmm. not the... 15 or 21 year old with a bunch of juice testosterone no it's the guy who's got the connective tissue that's hard as rock mm-hmm. and exactly how he's supposed to be designed to move he's done this before and he just like can lead the pack so i kind gonna of oh, go off on
0: a tangent i forgot the was <laughs> a question but- no you're good i i i remember the research that being fed in like i guess it for you guys it's where are you from by the way you're from Los Angeles from Los Angeles. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you guys will call it high school there. we call it senior school in the UK. (laughs) So like in senior school, being, being fed this stuff in PE, like, Oh, by the time you get past 27 years old, you know, your muscles start wasting and like, you know, degeneration sets in and like, you better get as healthy as possible before 27 because the research shows that after 27, you get this huge drop in like muscular size and muscular like strength and, so I, I wondered, like, are you saying that that's bullshit or like, you know, is there because for from my from my point of view, you know, I've hit 30 now and I'm stronger than I'm ever be- as I've ever been. And I just think that is that research based on taking information from people who are living this sedentary lifestyle and you're looking at the median of that, you know, and the exactly. same why these doctors have all of their median prescriptions and all of their median medication and all of their symptoms bases are based on an average of a population that's already sick and an average of a population that is in pain. So that's what our data pool is, is the data pool is taken from people who aren't moving properly and who aren't eating properly and who aren't doing X, Y, and Z properly to keep themselves healthy. So we, we're going off skewed data and it's getting more skewed the whole time as people <sighs> get sicker and move worse.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's,
0: um, I couldn't have said that better
1: myself. And that's why data is really good and helpful for us to see that, like, you can look at that data, like, oh, after 27, on average, muscle tissue, degeneration, pain kind of sets in. Well, that's average for us. And we have this, it's very easy for us to think that the way that we are living right now is the way that humans have always lived Mm. throughout all of history. Um, I'm not sure why we do that. Um, I think it's too much to conceptualize like our (laughs) whole entire, like, you know, but things happen so fast, so very fast, you know, 50 years ago, the cell phone wasn't around, Mm -hmm. but now the cell phones around. And then so then you see data of like, oh, yeah, majority of people with neck or shoulder pain or whatever, and we don't correlate to the changes that are happening in our day to day Mm -hmm. life between what it is that we're experiencing. But if you do have the space or somebody like yourself that can help you kind of say, well, yeah, this data is does have some some truth to it, Mm -hmm. but it's not the whole entire picture. And as, as cognitive beings, we want to know, well, what is the truth? Tell me just the black and white. Just give it to me. Okay, here's the black and white. At 27, you're, it's, gone, it's going to all mm. go to shit, you know? <laughs> so we want to provide that to people and to ourselves. But in reality, when you really look at the whole entire bigger picture, there's many truths that need to be taken into account, 100%. many different
0: ones. 100%. Yeah. And... We got a little bit of time left. Just five minutes. So, talk us through what do you do for your training right now? Like, what's a day in the life of Bam for your training? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Because my training
1: is not like I don't, I don't, I do not follow a program. Um, <laughs> do not. I I wake up and see how my body is feeling. But in general, I try and kind to take care of four different aspects of my movement. Four different aspects that I really think are important and vital to people. The first one is some kind of movement medicine. So this is like, it doesn't have to you know, did today, did I get some time with my body to move in a way that it it allowed it to train itself to move better? Could be some very simple movements, very, very simple movements, a lot of the same movements that we taught ourselves When we were on the ground, rolling on the ground, crawling on the ground, activating our hips in different ways, just watch how children and babies move. Oh, they're exercising all the time, but they don't think about it as exercise. So that's movement medicine. That's like the first one is like, I want to set my body up for success and move better than I did yesterday. The second one is training. Now I have, I do have my body. I do have certain capacities. Now I want to challenge it. I want to kind of take it to the edge. And that's what normally people think about when they think about physical activity and exercise is training. Training is meant to break you down. This movement medicine is supposed to build you up. So I think it's very important that a human, a mover, a person has the ability to do both with their body really scientifically and like break their body down to cause tissue change adaptation, challenge their mind, challenge their whole body to see where there's weaknesses, to see where there's things that you need to work on, but then have a practice that is designed to build you up. Most of the time right now, people only know how to break themselves down, break themselves down, break themselves down. And they're just constantly breaking themselves down. And that's why they're like, oh, it's so sore. I just can't go to the gym. So they just don't move that day. They just sit on the couch or whatever, or or they break themselves down over a long period of time. So they go into the gym for two months or six months or a year. And then the nervous system gets fried and finally tells them, Hey, stop going to the gym, stop breaking ourselves down. We need to actually heal and repair. Um, the uh, third area is in traveling. Like I said, it's very important for the human body to be able to travel and travel forward is, is what we do. So getting some kind of traveling in throughout the day, whether that's just a walk, a run, swim, climb, hike, just like move your body forward. It doesn't have to be big, but really continuing to rep that out is extremely important for the health of our body. And also just this mind body connection, like uh, there's, it's very flow state is very important for us. And there's one of the easiest low hanging fruits to get into flow state is just go walk forward. Just go on a walk and just let your mind just kind of just do that thing and kind of let the tangles of reality and your modern life just, just kind of seep into your tissues. Um, and then the fourth one would be either practice or play. So it's either play or practice. Either I'm enjoying just playing and, and having a joyful experience with my body. It's like I'm moving for the sake of movement. In in that sense, I'm not doing it to because I need to get stronger or because I want to look a certain way or because whatever, this is like, this is no mind. This is me just moving for the sake of moving, having an experience with my body. Just like you see with kids, just running down the street, barefoot, full sprint. You don't, you don't stop the kid like, Hey, why are you doing that? And they go, Oh, I'm trying to increase my VO two max. So I'm doing two (laughs) sprints for 300 meters with a 60 second rest you'd be like, what? Like what? They're like, you ask them like, why are you running? And they, they'd be like, I, I don't know. just running. And then you, you yeah, you keep, feel, you ask them, I guess they're like, I guess it feels good. I, I, you know, I don't know. My body wanted to, so I just did it. Um, so either some kind of play or practice, practice being like, I would like to have the ability to do something. So I'm going to take the time to learn that technical ability and mm. teach myself some specific movements, whatever it is, because hopefully the movement that you want to do or be able to do will bring that sense of joy, that sense of deeper connection with you and your body and like, like, wow, like, look at me like, this feels so good to be able to do that. Mm. Um, So those are the kind of the four things that uh, of of course, not every single day do I get that. But when I wake up in the morning, instead of like this program, this program, this program, it's like in my head, Mm. Hey, let's spend some time doing some movement medicine. Let's get a training in, let's challenge ourselves, let's go travel, and let's do some practice or some play.
0: Mm. That epic, kind of thing. Epic. Bam, I've absolutely loved talking to you. Like you, You've put me on a few tracks of different revelations there, and I hope you have with the people listening as well. And yeah. um, I just wonder, like, where can people find you? Where can people learn more about you and your methodologies and stuff?
1: Yeah, the best place is on Instagram and YouTube, and they're both BAM Lionheart, B-A-M-L-I-O-N-H-E-A-R-T. Send me a direct message on Instagram is probably the best way to get a hold of me. And if you're looking for to do a whole recode to go back into the cycle and to move really well in the
0: natural way, um, I work with clients all the time. 100% I really recommend you guys go and check out Bam like there's some incredible information just even on his reels on Instagram like you can learn a lot through there and I know he's starting to put more on his YouTube channel so watch out for that information up there but um, Bam thank you so much for joining me I hope we can speak again soon and Yeah. um, yeah great to have you on sick thank you